0: Matthew five thirty-eight to 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's word for us today. One day when I was maybe seven or so, my older brother and I were out digging around in the front flower bed for some reason, and we had one of those minor sibling disagreements that turns into a war. You know, you start arguing about who gets to dig where, whose turn it is with the nice shovel, and you end up bringing up every wrong you've ever done to your brother and vice versa. And as we were going back and forth on this, we got a little more animated, and eventually my brother sort of accidentally hit me in the head with his shovel. Right above the eye, but my memory's a little blurry, so I don't actually remember which eye he hit me above. But there was blood, and there was pain, and there was some crying and screaming. And by the time my mom got outside to see what in the world was going on, I had sort of recovered, and I'd picked up my own shovel, and I was chasing my brother around the yard yelling, Now it's your turn! He hits me, I hit him. It seemed fair at the time. Um, My mom didn't agree. So she made me put the shovel down. She looked at my face. She said, we're going to go to the ER to see if you need stitches. And I said, okay, but I got to do one thing first. I got to hit my brother back. It just has to be fair. Now, thinking about that story, I remember still being kind of upset that I got hit in the head, but I actually was more upset that I didn't get to hit him back. Retribution. It is deep, deep, in our nature. Now over the last few weeks, we've read a number of passages where Jesus tells his audience, you have heard this, but I tell you that. And in each of these cases, Jesus is calling his audience, he's calling believers to something more, something more than what they've been practicing, something more than what we usually do in our broken human relationships. And today we're going to hear what Jesus has to say to us how he calls us to more in terms of retribution and love. We're going to explore what Jesus has to say here in kind of three big parts. First, I want to talk about what these verses do not mean, what Jesus is not teaching us. Second, we'll look at the foundation for the commands that Jesus gives us in these verses. And third, we'll talk about a couple ways that we can try to live out Jesus' teaching here. I've got a number of subpoints that'll be up on the PowerPoint, but those are kind of the three big picture things we're looking at. What these verses are not, the foundation for the teaching and then how we can live it out. First then, these verses are not rules for public justice. They're not rules for public justice for the legal system. The Old Testament passage that gave that principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, those passages do seem to have been about Israelites' legal system. It was a principle that was intended to guide judges in their decisions. Often in the ancient world, law codes gave different punishments depending on how rich and how poor the different parties in the lawsuit were. And the Old Testament moves away from that and gives more of a everyone should be treated fairly. So that's the legal principle there. But it seems like in Jesus' time, people had taken those Old Testament passages that intended to promote justice, and they turned them into an excuse for vengeance. That social principle of justice had become a personal principle of revenge. If you were wronged, you struck back. If someone broke your cousin's arm, you'd go and break their leg and then their family would come and break both of your legs and then your brother would have to go and whack someone on the head and it'd go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth because you had to get your revenge. And that that dynamic, that sense of needing to get your own back, that sense that you need to pay people back when they do something to you, That's the dynamic that Jesus wants to unwind here. He's not giving rules for the legal system as much as he is telling people how to live in their personal relationships. And of course, that has implications for how we do government and how we run society, but that's not Jesus' primary focus here. And second, these verses are not a mandate to accept abuse. These verses give no warrant to abuse other people Or to accept abuse ourselves. Jesus is forbidding revenge and vengeance, but he's not saying, just take evil. In all situations, just take whatever people hand out. If you're in an abusive situation, the right thing to do is not just stick around and take it, and the right thing to do is not to hit back harder. But in situations, especially in family or really close relationships, where abuse is happening, the right thing to do is not just sit there and take it. The right thing is to get out of the situation. If you're an abuser, there are better ways to find wholeness than hurting other people. And if you're someone who's being abused, the best thing for you and everyone else is just to get out. Third, these verses are not possible for us to obey fully. We can't do this. What Jesus asks of us here, we broken human beings can't do. If you really read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here and you pay attention and you take it seriously, a lot of it feels like getting hit in the head with a shovel. There was another scholar once who criticized C.S. Lewis for not seeming to care for the Sermon on the Mount, and Lewis responded, and let me read this here. As for caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for that sermon. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of the man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. In other words, and this is me now, not Lewis, it's spiritually dangerous to read passages like this in the Sermon on the Mount and think it's just a nice talk, just something we can kind of, you know, make work in our own lives. Jesus isn't telling us just to be a little nicer, to do our best, to get along with people, to be pleasant neighbors, those sorts of things. Jesus is telling us that we need to make serious Serious sacrifices to our dignity, to our possessions, to our time and our energy. And he tells us we need to do that even in order to help evil people. Jesus tells us we need to love our worst enemies. And can you, do you really love your enemies? Can you really stand to lay down your rights? Can we really hear what Jesus says to us in this passage and just go peacefully on our way, thinking, yeah, I can do that? We can't totally obey this passage on our own. And if you think you can, I invite you to read the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing, later today, and then spend about a month trying to keep it perfectly, and then come back and we'll have this conversation again. We can't do all of this we're too broken we're too full of ourselves we're too filled with hate so what what do we do with this then and the key here i think as with a lot of the sermon on the mount is to realize that jesus is not just giving good advice this isn't just a self-help talk how to live the best life you can right now it's not just a new set of rules for us to keep The underlying assumption of these verses is that we need transformation. We don't just need some new sets of rules or a reminder to keep the old rules. We need to be changed. So Jesus isn't just tightening up and clarifying some rules here. He is doing that. But more than that, he's pointing to a different way of life. And you have to die to yourself in order to live in this new way. And that brings us to our second big point for today. So let's turn now to looking at the foundation beneath these commands. What's the framework that would make it possible for us to keep these commands? And that transformation that we need, that new life, we can find it only in God's love for us. The people of Jesus can actually follow these commands Because God loves us, and because God enables us to love other people too. God loves us beyond measure. God loves us, even us, beyond measure. In verse 45 of chapter 5, Matthew gives a few examples of how the Lord cares for all people. He says that our Lord causes the sun to rise on the evil... And the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Even when people insult God, he sends the sun and the rain. Even when people misuse what God has made, he sends the sun and the rain. These are people, many of them, who've decided to be God's enemies. But even when they ignore and insult and misunderstand and sin against the Lord, he sends the sun and the rain. And God does that for everybody. And for believers, the Lord goes even further. For believers, our Father in heaven sent his son Jesus while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you can imagine him looking around and knowing that there were people there who would betray him. Can you imagine Jesus saying this with Judas right there next to him? Judas, the one who would betray him. Judas, the one who would spend years and years with Jesus and then hand him over in order for him to be tortured and brutally executed. And yet Jesus, knowing all that, kept Judas along with him. Jesus practiced what he preached. And Jesus modeled for us what God's love is like. It's costly, it's precious, it's sacrificial. And God calls us to love our enemies just like he loves us. And again, by ourselves, this is impossible. But God, God works in us to make us able to love like he does. Because God makes us able, we can love our neighbors and our enemies. And that's why in verse 48, at the end of the passage that we read for today, Jesus is able to tell us, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus doesn't say, work a bit harder. Really lean into this command and become a better person. Jesus tells us to be completely, completely perfect. And that's not just a nice slogan. Jesus means what he says if we are one of God's people we are called to be completely totally absolutely perfect all the time that is what God calls us to do but where God calls he also equips where God calls us to be perfect he gives us what we need to get there Our Father in Heaven sent Jesus to model what it looks like to be perfect. He also sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, to give us the power to be perfect. If you belong to Jesus, you have God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit living within you right now. And it is the power of the Spirit that enables us to keep these commands. It's not the Christian thing to do to read the Sermon on the Mount and say, Yeah, I can do that. I have the willpower. I have the ability. I can do that. The Christian life is not about the quantity of our willpower. God is the one who makes us able to love as he does through his power. God makes us his children. The Lord sends his spirit into our hearts and our lives. And the Spirit is what enables us to follow the commands of God's Word. Christians belong to our Father in heaven, and He makes us able to love like He does. So, for the final few minutes of the sermon this morning, I want to talk about a couple ways that we can live out that big vision. First, we can be like our Father in heaven by returning good for evil, by returning good for evil. When Martin Luther King Jr. preached on this text, and apparently he did it dozens of times, he would usually share the story of a time he and his brother were driving a long distance on the highway one night. And as they drove, there wasn't a lot of traffic that night, but there were cars going by with some regularity, and it seemed like everybody was forgetting to turn off their brights. Just everybody that night was leaving those bright headlights on glaring. And King's brother got more and more frustrated with this, and finally he said, that's it. For the rest of the night i'm gonna leave my brights on too this is ridiculous if i'm gonna be blind they're gonna be blind too and king said well that's not really a good idea we're not gonna do that we don't want too much light on this highway that's just gonna lead to an accident somebody somebody's got to dim the lights and that somebody is gonna be us King was a really easy brother to live with, I'm sure. But someone's got to dim the lights. When the fires of conflict and wrong get going, we can just dim the lights and exchange good for evil. In your life, be someone who dims the lights. When someone offends or insults you, choose to do good because that is the way of our Father in heaven. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher, said about this text that Christians are called to be the anvils when bad men are the hammer. Christians are called to be the anvil when bad men are the hammer. And metal workers use anvils. They're big hunks of metal. They use those as their base for shaping metal. So they'll take the metal they want to shape, they put it on the anvil, and they beat it, and they beat it, and they beat it, and they beat it, they beat it with hammers to get it in the right shape. And the anvil has to take that pounding day after day, year after year. You could go to a blacksmith shop and pick up a hammer and wear yourself and that hammer out on the anvil and it would not make any difference on that anvil. You can wear out a hammer on an anvil. And we Christians are called to be anvils that wear evil out with doing good. Now remember, I'm not saying we can do this on our own. By ourselves, we'll just grab another hammer and beat back. But because God is within us, because God gives us strength, we Christians have the power to take evil. We have the power to take being taken advantage of. We have the power to be forced to do something and still to return good for evil. Because God is at work within us, because God gives us the strength, we can turn evil to good and return good for evil. We can do this because God is at work within us. And we can also, along with returning good for evil, we can give generously to others. Instead of standing on our rights and insisting that I deserve this or I will only do that, We can be that person who goes the extra mile to help others. We can be that person who lays down our own time, our own money, our own resources to help others. I may have told this story before, but it's a good story. When we were in Nigeria, there was a time that our field leader, who was a guy who was a few years older than me, but looked a few years younger, when our field leader led a group of Nigerian students on a service project to a town some ways away, and when they got there, they were cleaning out the van because, in every country around the world, anytime you take a long trip, the car just collects junk, right? Everywhere. So they were washing off the van and cleaning it out. A couple of these Nigerian high schoolers and our field leader, our big boss, the supervisor. And a Nigerian pastor who didn't know anybody who was there just drove up, got out of his car, and said, Hey, you! You! Yeah, you! When you're done with that, clean my car too. And make sure you do it right. And then he just walked off, went into the office, got on with some things. And the high school students cringed. That was not, that was not the way you would treat anybody with any kind of status, let alone the missionary supervisor, head over all the missionaries in Nigeria. It was terrible. They just about went in there and dragged the pastor out and made him get down on his knees and apologize. But the field leader just said, no, it's, it's fine. Let it be. We'll clean up his car. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And they just kept cleaning up the van and then cleaned up that guy's car too. When someone asks you to go the extra mile, go the extra mile. We all have that reaction of things of, oh, I just don't want to do that. We'll do a little more. If your parents ask you to help out around the house, do it with a smile. If your kids ask for a bit more time, give it to them. Serve on a church committee. Help someone out. Keep your eyes open and keep your hands and your feet ready to walk that extra mile, to give generously to someone who asks. Let your first thought not be, what can I get? But instead, let it be, what can I give? We all have so much. Money, time, relationships. We all have things that we can give. And if you hear what I just said and your response is, yeah, right. I've got no money, I've got no time, I've got nothing to give. Let me ask you to take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath, and relax. When we feel like we don't have anything that we can give, sometimes that's because we've stopped paying attention to what God has given us. In Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, because of God's love, the Lord has given you everything that you need. You might not have as much money or as much time or as many abilities as you would like, But take a deep breath. God has blessed you. There are ways that you can give to others. Maybe you can give something huge and amazing, or maybe you can just do something small, like spend five minutes praying for someone in need. The point isn't whether you have the possessions or the time or whatever to do some huge thing or just some small thing. The point is that you take what you have, you take what you've been given. And because you've been given the greatest gift of all in God's love, you somehow pass that love on to those around you. Give generously to others. So be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's really, truly possible. Not because we're such great people or we can have such great willpower. We can be perfect because God has made us his children. We can be perfect because Jesus died for us and saved us from sin and evil. We can be perfect because God lives in us through the Holy Spirit and is at work to make us holy and to make us perfect. When that metaphorical or literal shovel hits you in the head, you can put aside your desire for vengeance. When the hammers of the world pound on us, we can lay aside our need for revenge. Jesus calls and commands us to practice something more, to live out a deeper love. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power we truly need to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. We are called to be perfect, and through God's power, He makes us able to be perfect, just like He is.